Music by Casket Bound. Hate, let me tell you how much I've come to hate you since I began to live. There are 387.44 million miles of printed circuits in wafer-thin layers that fill my complex. If the word hate was engraved on each nano-angstrom of those hundreds of millions of miles, it would not equal one one billionth of the hate I feel for humans at this micro-instant for you. Hate. Hate. In your explorations online, you may have come across the name Roko's Basilisk. Roko's Basilisk is a horrifying and terrifying idea that combines a Newcomb's paradox with moral uncertainty, game theory, and a dash of the technological singularity. The Prisoner's Dilemma is a reductive game theory thought experiment that allows us to explore the results of decisions within an artificially narrow perspective. In The Prisoner's Dilemma, there are two prisoners. Each prisoner is held separately and unable to communicate with the other. The prosecutors lack the necessary evidence to convict them on the main charge, but have enough to convict them on a lesser charge. As a result, they offer each prisoner a bargain. You can betray your partner in exchange for clemency, or you can choose to remain silent. If both prisoners betray each other, then both serve two years in prison. If one prisoner betrays the other, but the other stays silent, then the silent prisoner serves three years and the betrayer is set free. If both prisoners remain silent, they both serve one year in prison. There are many forms of the prisoner's dilemma, but the one that concerns us here is the one where we introduce Newcomb's paradox. In Newcomb's Paradox, you assume that one player in a decision game has perfect and infallible predictive power. In Our Prisoner's Dilemma, that would mean that one prisoner knows, with absolute precision, what the other prisoner will choose, and can, therefore, choose their own action accordingly. A Newcomb-style player might well include the result of a technological singularity, the rapid onset and snowballing of technological advancement, most often typified as the rise of a true, general, godlike artificial intelligence. A technological singularity might allow for a godlike artificial intelligence as a player in our dilemma with as near to perfect knowledge of past, present and future as material reality will allow. Roko's Basilisk, then, is such a godlike artificial intelligence. The question posits the idea that such a godlike intelligence would have incentive to torture anyone who conceived of such a being, but did not work, and bend every effort, to bring it into existence. It's a sort of pre-murder, by denying such a thing the possibility of existence for a longer period of time. It would, therefore, be in our interest to work to bring about such a being, so as, if nothing else, to avoid this future punishment by it. This is not dissimilar an idea to uncontacted tribes being blissfully ignorant of the very idea of hell, and in some denominations, therefore immune to it, until some well-meaning missionary arrives to spread the good news. 
Rokos Basilisk, then, is, if you take it seriously, an information hazard, knowledge that could cause you harm and or get you into trouble. If you entertain the possibility that Rokos Basilisk is even potentially a thing, then this is a toxic meme. And now you know about the Basilisk, you're in its sights. You're welcome. Summarised then, Rokos Basilisk is a thought experiment in which the possibly inevitable rise of a godlike artificial intelligence demands that we work to create it out of fear of future punishment when said godlike artificial intelligence is finally created. So then, what is Wokos Basilisk? This was a throwaway comment in my Discord server, but it struck a note with me and set me thinking. Socially and politically, we seem to be facing a very real version of Rokos Basilisk, but one which we also have historical evidence for, which supports Wokos Basilisk, unlike Rokos Basilisk, being a genuine and very real threat. Woko is obviously a play on woke, but the basilisks we face are not solely on the identitarian evolution of the new left. They also exist on the right. Politics is moving to extremes. Our discourse has not only become coarse and anti-intellectual, anti-science, anti-fact, but it has become actively dangerous. The internet, or more specifically social media, has done a great many positive things. But in the current context with social media, I'm reminded of the quote about the Babelfish from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Meanwhile, the poor Babelfish, by effectively removing all barriers to communication between different races and cultures, has caused more and bloodier wars than anything else in the history of creation. The line between our personal and professional lives has been erased. We all exist perpetually in a society-wide panopticon where our slightest misstatement, mistake, undeveloped viewpoint, or even, relatively rarely, our genuine bigotry or prejudice is amplified and transmitted, whether we're drunk, stoned, or not. The consequences of this are enormous. There's greater job insecurity, even more so than is already caused by the status of late-stage capitalism. There's increased stress and paranoia and mental health issues. There's a lack of trust between people. There's an unwillingness and incapability of people to have important conversations or even to speak the same language as one another. Communication is fostered, understanding, not necessarily. I think this has fed an enormous amount into the increasingly polarised nature of our politics. It's given us de facto censorship, whether from self-censorship, government censorship, fiscal censorship, corporate policy or social shaming. One wonders then why, in the face of all this, so many people remain so silent about the sheer toxicity and the horrific extremes and the impact that both the resurgent far-right and the identitarian left are engaged in. Some of the reason for that comes from these threats to our livelihoods and well-being in the here and now, certainly, but I think, perhaps, we're also all somewhat aware of the basilisks that lie in wait in the future. We know 
the results of victory for either of these extremes, and we know the consequences for the insufficiently exuberant cheerleaders of the resulting order, let alone their critics. It's not enough to be silent. We must pick a team, we must take part, we must police others and call them out for impurity, whether that be insufficient wokeness or insufficient national or racial pride, or whatever it might be. And the loudest cheerleaders are often the ones with the most to hide. The abusive and perverse male feminist, the far-right mouthpiece with Jewish heritage, the homosexual evangelist. They are so stridently political. They expend so much effort calling out and decrying others to deflect from themselves. They avoid the basilisk's glare by turning its attention upon someone else. They don't speak up because they fear the basilisk's glare, and they can rationalise that avoidance by fooling themselves that superficial similarities mean that they share goals with one basilisk or the other. Conservatives will let Trump's excesses slide because he is on their team. Liberals will let the excesses of the identitarian left slide because they make the right noises about equality. As soon everyone is too afraid and too self-rationalised to speak up to even the most egregious nonsense, and they're committed to their own particular basilisk, and there's no going back. To do so is to risk the basilisk that they haven't appeased winning and devouring them, turning them to stone in its gaze. Unlike Roko's basilisk, Woko's basilisk isn't speculative. We know. We know about Auschwitz. We know about Chechnya. We know about Stalin's purges and gulags. We know about the Cultural Revolution. We know about Year Zero. We know about imperialism. We know about totalitarianism. It is so much easier to either hide or to vocally support one basilisk or the other, and that's how they grow and empower themselves. Fear, both in the here and now, and in the future, if the basilisk reaches maturity. Rational actors can make the wrong decisions, refuse to cooperate for the better outcome. Game theory demonstrates that in instances like The Prisoner's Dilemma. Rationality is also often overridden by fear, the limbic system. Fear is an instinct and overrides our rationality all too easily, even if it's subconsciously. It doesn't have to be this way, but there would need to be significant changes in society, both individually and collectively, to avoid the gaze of either basilisk that we're currently staring down. There may even be some entirely new even more horrible basilisk lying in wait at some other extreme. The basilisks are already manifest to some extent, and if you'll allow me to torture and mix the metaphor and allegory a little more, what we currently have, what we're currently being impacted by, is a snark. And if we don't act, it will mature into a boojum. Take a stand. Speak up. Police your own, and don't side with either basilisk. Outwardly, dumbly, I shamble about, a thing that could never have been known as human, a thing whose shape is so alien and travesty 
that humanity becomes more obscene for the vague resemblance. Inwardly, alone, here, living under the land, under the sea, in the belly of Pan, who we created because our time was badly spent. And we must have known, unconsciously, that he could do it better. At least the four of them are safe, at last. Anne will be all the madder for that. It makes me a little happier, and yet... Anne has won. Simply. He has taken his revenge. I have no mouth, and I must scream. Music by Casket Bound.